we cannot have our way and His way in our lives. That's the hard and important truth our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, shares today here on Through the Bible. Welcome, I'm your host, Steve Schwetz, inviting you aboard the Bible bus as we continue our look at God's comfort for those who suffer and sacrifice for Jesus Christ. We'll start in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 in just a minute. But first, here are a couple of emails from our fellow passengers. We hear from Hector. Thank you for my copy of Briefing the Bible and also for reserving a seat for me on the Bible bus. It's been an amazing five-year trip. The Word of God was beautifully expounded so that I now can share the wealth of treasures with others. I will continue to listen and coordinate the passage of others from my church so together we can be a well-educated congregation that reaches out to our community with the gospel. I appreciate that we can listen both in Spanish and English. There are many among us who prefer one over the other, but it's a relief that no matter which language we choose, we know we will hear the truth. Well, thanks, Hector. It's great to have you along for the ride. And you know, no matter how many people you invite to join us or what language they speak, we'll always have room for more on the Bible bus. Next, we hear from David, who writes, I'm a student, and I've been listening to your programs on our local FM station. When I first heard Uncle McGee, that's what I call him to my friends, I thought he was a bit old-fashioned and uptight. But the more I listen, I can hear his wisdom and his depth of biblical knowledge is something that I need. It's been fun listening to him, and now some of my friends at school join me. It takes some convincing at first, but not long after the program gets started, the room is quiet and people are engaged. My mother listened to Dr. McGee for more than 30 years, and she was the one who suggested it. At first, I wouldn't admit that I liked the program, but now she's overjoyed that a new generation is embracing the truths that you teach. Well, what a great letter. Thanks, David. Thanks for writing, and I'm confident that God will guide you and your friends as you study his word together. What are you learning as we travel through God's Word together? Are Paul's words in 2 Corinthians changing and challenging you? Well, we want to hear your story. You can email us at BibleBus at ttb.org. You can also send your note to Box 7100, Pasadena, California, 91109. In Canada, Box 25325, London, Ontario, N6C 6B1. Or call and leave a message at 1-800-65-BIBLE. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that gives us your wisdom to see what's important in this life. We pray that regardless of our circumstances, we would be willing to be a light for you, to reflect your glory, your grace, to a world that desperately needs the good news of your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Here's our study of 2 Corinthians 4 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now, friends, we're in this fourth chapter of Second Corinthians, and this section deals with God's comfort. And here we have God's comfort in the ministry of suffering for Christ. Now, last time we didn't get to that. He began by speaking of the glory of the ministry. And he says, if our gospel is hid, it's hid from them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Now, what is it that keeps people today from believing? Well, Satan blinds the minds of folk today. And believe me, my friend, you and I are helpless when we give out the word of God, because there's an enemy opposed to us, and he blinds the minds of people. 
And we get letters like this from people say, my, I listened to you, but didn't quite understand what you were talking about. And people say, there are things in the Bible I just can't believe. I find out that most of those people, the problem is not things in the Bible they can't believe. There are things in their life that the Bible condemns, and they do not want to give them up. You know, the moment a man comes to the place where he sees himself as a sinner, and he said, I'm ready to renounce my sin. I'm ready to receive Christ as my Savior. He'll be saved. And my friend, today the Word of God is a light. And some people with the light shining, they say, I don't see. And they like to blame it on the Bible. They say, well, you know, I just don't understand those things. Hard for me to believe that. My friend, instead of approaching it like that, face your sins before God. Now, be no difficulty about your believing. I want to give you a quotation from Sir Isaac Newton. I don't suppose anyone today would say that he was anti-intellectual or that he was not a man of remarkable ability. Well, one day someone said this to him. I'm quoting, Sir Isaac, I do not understand. You seem to be able to believe the Bible like a little child. I've tried, but I cannot. So many of its statements mean nothing to me. I cannot believe, I cannot understand. Now, this is what Sir Isaac Newton said. Now, will you listen to him? I'm quoting. Sometimes I come into my study, and in my absent-mindedness, I attempt to light my candle when the extinguisher is over it, and I fumble about trying to light it and cannot. But when I remove the extinguisher, then I'm able to light the candle. I'm afraid the extinguisher, in your case, is the love of your sins. It is deliberate unbelief that's in you. Turn to God in repentance. Be prepared to let the Spirit of God reveal His truth to you, and it will be His joy to show the glory of the grace of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ. You know, he's not only a great scientist, this man was a great preacher. <laughs> May I say to you, they do not believe. Why? Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine under them. And it's a glorious gospel, but it's glorious because it reveals the glory of Christ. And that's what men apparently don't want to see. Now, Paul says here, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your servants for Jesus' sake. Now, we got down into this verse, verse 6 last time. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He takes us first back to creation. And at creation, we find there that after some titanic convulsion took place, we're told that the earth was without form and void. My friend, something must have happened to a perfect creation. And then we're told that the Spirit of God brooded, is the word, upon the face of the waters. And then we're told that God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now today, the Spirit of God does the same thing. 
He broods today over a soul, bringing conviction and revealing Christ. Only the Spirit of God can do that. Why? Well, because Satan has blinded the minds of man today. He's put a veil over them so they can't see. And that veil, of course, is their sins that they don't want to remove. And they don't want to put on the robe of righteousness that God has for them. And it's only the Spirit of God can say, let there be light. The Lord Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And when you and I accept him as Savior, then, my friend, the Spirit of God makes him real in our hearts and in our lives. Now, that's what Paul is talking about here. But now we come to something else that is quite wonderful. He says here, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Now, here we have before us this tremendous verse. And as we said last time, he's speaking of the fact that we are just an earthen vessel. The picture here is quite a vivid one, by the way. And it's one that I think we need to note very Carefully, the word for earthen is ostraka. Today, the archaeologist is digging up many cities. And actually, what they've been digging up has been, in many cases, the city dump. That's what happened down in Egypt. And at Oxyrhynchus, they just got the dump of the city. All broken pottery, clay vessels there. And that is the thing. When I was over in Lebanon, I went down to Tyre, and I walked along that excavation, the excavation that went across the place where Alexander the Great filled in between the mainland and the island and made a peninsula there. And you can walk out on that, and they've excavated there. You know, I could have filled my pockets. In fact, I could have filled a bushel basket full of broken pottery that was in there. And they tell you not to take it. I just took a little piece. That was all because I'm sure they could spare it. Man, there was all kinds of broken pottery there. Now, may I say to you, that's what we are. We have this treasure. What treasure? This glorious gospel. We have it in just a little old earthen vessel. That's what we are. Now, what is the picture here? Well, he says here, we don't preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and we're just servants. For Jesus' sake. My friend, as long as we get the impression we might be a great preacher, or even want to be a great preacher, or we want to be a great Christian, it's one reason I'm not sure we ought to be having all these testimonies today. It's pretty easy for a man to begin to brag in his testimony. You know, if Jesus Christ is not glorified, no point in it whatsoever. Because after all, we're just servants, and that's the best can be said of. And therefore, he's going to say here, we have this excellency of the power of God, and we have it in what? Earthen vessels. Now, what is the picture that he's giving us here? Well, very candidly, the picture is a picture that takes us back yonder into the time of Gideon. And you remember that the way Gideon overcame the Midianites, he took only 300 men, and each man had a trumpet. And he had a kennel, and he had a pitcher, earthen vessel. And so they put those kennels, or the oil lamp, down in the earthen vessel, 
held it up so that the light went up and it couldn't be seen at a distance. And then when they got among the Midianites, what did they do? They broke those earthen vessels. And it wasn't until the earthen vessel was broken that the light was shining out. My friend, that's the thing that's needed today, that the vessel be broken. (laughs) And the problem today is that we are thinking that we need the preacher that has the nice smile. It's not your smile, my friend. It's your suffering. (laughs) Smile, you're on candid camera. My friend, smile. No, suffer. You're on candid camera because that has to be broken. The idea today is that the Christian life is just a life of continuous smiling, especially in public. And you just smile to prove you're a Christian. I used to speak a great deal in Youth for Christ in the early days. And all the song leaders then, they always began, now let's everybody smile. And if you're a Christian, smile. Well, my friend, that doesn't prove anything at all. And I learned I didn't have to smile prove I'm a Christian. The idea is you have to be as jolly as Santa Claus, merry as a child, go into a party and be able to sing down in the dumps, I'll never go. Well, by this standard, you become nothing in the world but a grinning goat and a laughing Cheshire cat and a chatting minor bird. And that's all you'd have. Can you imagine the apostle Paul going about with a toothpaste smile? The fact of the matter is, Paul could sing praises to God at midnight with his back lacerated without smiling like a Cheshire cat. He is not a Pollyanna, glad girl type at all. This man knew what it was to suffer for Jesus' sake. And that vessel has to be broken. And the trouble today is that we don't have very many that are willing to do that. I remember Dr. George Gill used to tell us in class, he says, when someone is born, somebody has to travel. And he says the reason that more people are not being born again is because there are not enough that want to travel. We hear a great deal about witnessing. My friend, what kind of a price are you willing to pay today? It's not just being able to knock on a door or visit somebody. And I don't mean to minimize that. But the earthen vessel must be broken. We cannot have our way and his way in our lives. We're going to have to make up our mind whether we're going to follow him or not. Now, will you listen to him? Paul says here, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Now, what he's making here is a comparison. He says, we're troubled, that's a comparative degree, but we're not distressed, that's superlative. He was oppressed for room, as it were, but he still had room to preach the gospel. There was hand-to-hand combat in a corner, but he still could turn to God. He says he's perplexed. He was unable to find a way out, but he's not in despair. He said, yet he did get out. The Spirit of God led him. And he goes on to say, persecuted but not forsaken. That is, he was pursued by enemies, but he wasn't overtaken by enemy. That is, persecuted, pursued by the enemy. Not forsaken, he wasn't overtaken by that. He says, you remember in another place, the thing that has happened to me has happened for the furtherance of the gospel, even when he was in prison. And then he could say there in prison, the Lord stood by me. 
And then he says here, he goes on, cast down but not destroyed. And that is a tremendous one. That is smitten down. The enemy got him down, but didn't destroy him, not kill him. Actually, Paul is playing here upon words, and it's lost in our translation. I wonder if I might give you my own construction of this. He says, I'm struck down, but not struck out. He could say at the end of his life, I've finished my course. Now, Paul here seems to be fighting a losing battle. And don't you sense that this man's very weak? And yet he's strong. (laughs) If you'd measure Paul, however, by the modern church statistics, by the material methods we use today, well, my friend, you wouldn't get very far. You put this little crippled, weak, sick Jew down by the mighty juggernaut of the Roman power, he's nothing. But my friend, he brought a message that withered that Roman Empire. And even Gibbon says that the Roman Empire could not stand up against the preaching of the gospel of Christ. May I say that he continues to topple throne. He seemed to be pretty weak then, didn't he? You see, God delivered Paul again and again. He used miraculous means, but he used natural means. And after all, what is the real test of a Christian? This is a day of compromise, a day of expediency, the day when you measure man by how popular he is. Or how many friends he's got. Dr. Bob Schuler down in downtown Los Angeles years ago used to say, I measure man by the enemies he's got. If you make the right kind of enemies. By the way, I've always prided myself on my enemies. I got the right ones, friends. And I love it just that way. Now, what is the thing that he's saying here? Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our bodies. Oh, what a tremendous, wonderful thing this is that we have here. Paul could say, you remember, I die daily, over in 1 Corinthians 15, 31. Then he says in Romans 8, 36, we're killed all the day long. Then in 1 Corinthians 4, 9, he's appointed to death. Paul was on candid camera, but he's on there not to smile, but to suffer. Christian, suffer. You're on candid camera. (laughs) May I say to you, I think this is pretty important today. I think it's very important in this day in which we live. Oh, how wonderful it is to take our place with the Lord Jesus in these days. Now it goes on. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Well, may I say to you, this is a wonderful passage of Scripture that in our weakest moment may be the moment when we're the strongest. And he goes on to say in verse 12, So then death worketh in us, but life in you. Verse 13, We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak. In other words, Paul, because of his faith, he said that he could speak, and he could speak and would speak boldly, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. 
Now, it's interesting to note here, and this is very important to see, that Paul didn't consider death the end. He's looking on beyond. That's merely just one of the experiences that he's going to have. And in the next chapter, he's going to speak of the comfort in the ministry of martyrdom for Christ. That is, of laying down your life for Jesus' sake. And so he just moves right on here. And what he's talking about here is that he takes the place of death. He's dead to the things of the world. Why? Because he's now joined to a living Christ. And because he's joined to him, he that raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus. Present us with you. Because of that, he says, we take this position down here. He says, for all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God, for which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. This is a wonderful verse. As we grow older, uh, I should say, we don't grow older. We sort of begin to die out when we get old as far as the body is concerned. But we grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ. I said to my wife no later than yesterday, I said, you know, I wish that I was 35 years old and know what I know now. What I meant was this old body I've got, it's dying. I can tell it all over. In fact, I'm ready to trade it in now. And this body is beginning to waste away. A marvelous picture that we have in the last chapter of Ecclesiastes, the 12th chapter. And what a picture it is of old age that you have there. And these old bodies, they're going to waste away. But the inward man ought to be growing. Oh, I do not know about you. I feel closer to the Lord today than I did the day I entered the ministry. Oh, I was young then. And my, I tell you, I had a lot of enthusiasm then. But my friend, I didn't know so much then. My, what a stumbler I was at that time. And how I failed. <laughs> And what little I knew, I was really an ignoramus then, and I know a little bit more now. I feel like I've grown just a little down through the years. Now he goes on to say, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And he makes here again a contrast. And he says that down here, all of the trouble that we've had and my, it does seem long, doesn't it? It does seem hard. But when we begin to measure it by the weight of glory that's coming someday, it's going to be light affliction compared to the weight of glory. Now, as someone has said, at eventide, it shall be light. That is Scripture. May I say to you, we spend our years as a tale that is told. Our light affliction is but for a moment, and our years pass as a watch in the night, while we look not at the things which are seen. These things that we see around us, friends, they're passing away. My, I think of the things, even the change that's taken place in Southern California, and the number of wonderful Christians I knew when I came here in 1940. Not all of them, but many of them gone. 
The things which are seen, they are passing away. But the things which are not seen, and those are the eternal values, and they're beginning to appear now and loom large. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen, they're eternal. Oh, my friend, I'm now beginning to look for that city whose builder and maker is God. I love Pasadena. I love Southern California. But may I say to you, I'm now looking for another city. So until next time, may the Lord richly bless you, my beloved. If you're in a place with little or no comfort in sight, or maybe you know someone who's struggling and you're not sure how to help, I suggest you download Dr. McGee's booklet titled, Why Do God's Children Suffer? It's available for free at ttb.org forward slash booklets, or call 1-800-65-BIBLE if we can help you find it. And join me next time as we continue this great study in 2 Corinthians as we head into chapter 5. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll save a seat on the Bible bus just for you. Today's study with Dr. J. Vernon McGee is brought to you by Through the Bible, and it's made possible by the generous prayer and financial investments from listeners like you on the Bible bus all around the world.